get the show on the road. So you just poured me a dram of, what was it, the Glenfiddich IPA? Yeah, it's done in a beer, beer barrel, which, you know, you don't really notice the beer barrel in it, but it's, I think it's quite nice. I think you do notice, like, that IPA kind of fruity finish. As someone brought in as a gift for me from um, Duty Free, it's very, very economical. <laughs> One does like an economical whiskey. Do you think it's your um, Scottish roots there? <laughs> Thank you, Rob. <laughs> oh, you should give him the link. He can listen to the podcast. I'm sure he'd get a kick out of that. I think he has got the links, actually. Oh, excellent, excellent. We'll get you some business cards made, Tones. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my leg of Ulan for the last one. I thought they'd send us a carton at least. Uh, so if anyone's listening from Diageo and wants to send Tony Madver a cask of... A, ca- of the, a carton. A carton. A carton, sorry. Four bottles. Oh, no, I, I thought you want a whole cask. You could just pour oh. it on tap. You know, that's not it. We used to buy back... Um, I don't know whether this... It was called Deacon Brody. And the only place that used to have it in New Zealand that it went into and they imported it themselves was a club in Blenheim. It was Scottish. Big one. Was it Scottish? The the whiskey. Yeah. Called Deacon Brody. Mm. And you go in there and they you could uh, get a bottle of it or whatever, but then but if you want to you just go and take a flagon in which was a half a gallon and they'll just fill up your <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about $25 or something, $22 for a, for a flag and back in the day. That's right? hilarious. So what we're doing now with a lot of the um, the um, the beers that are around, so you get your craft brews and you can go down to some of the bottle shops and they'll have it on tap and you fill up what they call a growler, which is a flagon. Mm. <laughs> and you go, so you were doing that with whiskey back in the day. Yeah, and the the uh, the Deacon Brody one, as I say, was the only place that uh, you get it, and probably it was a wee bit like so. It was just a whiskey; it wasn't a malt, mm. and it probably tasted a wee bit like a Grant's, which I think you know as a nice go-to. Yeah, yeah, a go-to you know everyday whiskey, and uh, it, it was a wee bit like so that. It had it had a nice mellow undertones and bits and pieces with it by memory very very drinkable and uh, kept you warm in the winter oh yeah I, I remember used to go out and do um, possum fur in New Zealand you know the possums in New Zealand are a bit like cane toads in Australia you know they're, yeah. they're really quite um, a real pest anyway but the furs on them were in the winter time were quite good and they'd live up into the, above the snow line at times, you know. Really? Yeah, you get up there and that's where you got the really, really good furs. They were beautiful fur. And you get up there, I remember one day being up there and I was soaked to the bone and it was that sleety rain, snow sort of weather that it's worse than if it just snows you know mm. oh because it's really wet as well yeah and you're wet and cold and I got back home before I, uh, there's two of us out and we said oh let's go and get 
have a shower before we put the skins out, out on the boards, you know, to stretch them and that. Mm. And uh, so I went home and grabbed a bottle of whiskey, ran a hot bath, jumped into the bath with a bottle of whiskey, drank half the bottle and then took, took the other half back up to where we are doing the skins. <laughs> I was warm inside and out. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you were. Oh, man. And, and then drank, drank the other half. And we used to drink it while we were doing the skins with a pot of tea and you fill up your, and it was really quite nice, no milk in your tea, just ordinary just tea. Just a bit of whiskey. <laughs> you put a, a drop of whiskey in the bottom, and I mean a half a glass, and the other, <laughs> or half a cup, yeah. and then fill up the other half with tea. And it was quite nice, it was really quite a nice drink, but just plain tea. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else, and it sort of sweetened the tea up a little bit. and um, Kept you nice and warm. Oh yeah, yeah, especially if it was cold. <laughs> It's funny because, like, you talk about, so um, I was actually wearing a jumper that's um, possum as well, that possum down or whatever, um, but when you talk to people about, you know, they're like, oh, those gloves are really nice, they're nice and soft, it's like, yeah, it's, it's possum, and like, oh, and I've got a couple of vegetarian friends, and they've been like, really, like possum, how do they do that? I'm like, oh, they, they shear them, they shear them like tiny little sheep. Do, do, do your but, vegetarian feel <clears throat> friends realize that plants have feelings too they i think they do now actually most of my vegetarian friends have actually become um meatitarian over the years <laughs> so it's been an interesting thing to watch but um yeah so I've, I've had a couple of friends that i've had to say that too but it's an interesting thing because they are they're a pest it's just that when you do um try and eradicate them um you can actually make use of their fur and stuff like that so it's not a complete waste well, and the, i think that that's kind of no, it'd be nicer not to the, have the possums because of the, the devastation greens, the greens had a big law that they uh you know really anti-fur trade you know mm. and everything else and then they, they would hack up and go except we want people to wear possum new zealand possum Fur because of the damage that they were doing to the forest and the and the birds because they'd eat a certain amount of eggs they reckon of the uh, native birds. Yeah, apparently they they've and only really just started doing that re like in recent times. It's, oh no, they've um, been they, doing it for years. Oh, have they? Okay. Yeah, because apparently they get into the penguins and stuff as well. I didn't know about the penguins. Yeah, that's just sort of started happening. Because they climb through the trees, they can get anywhere. Oh, it's you know. just devastating. But um, we're not here to talk about possums. Yeah, but it's quite an interesting It is. It's a very interesting story, really. <laughs> um, we are here to talk about whiskey. And I think I might let you pour this one because, like you said, you want to keep a dram of this um, for when Brian comes over, um, one of your mates who enjoys a, a good whiskey. So very long story short, um, Dad did a favour to – oh, don't do too much because you want to keep enough for Brian. Um the, so Dad did a favour for my cousin um, a, in a time of need, and um, so he sent over. Well, a, it's not that much there, sir. So. Um, a, a, do you want to split that back? No, no, no. Okay. There's... Enough for a taste. Um, so my cousin sent this bottle of whiskey over, and said bottle of whiskey has sat <laughs> sat oh, on the side. Oh no, it's, it's off. It's got corked. <laughs> I'll drink yours, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> so said bottle of whiskey, um, which is the Glenmorangie Signet, sat on the sideboard taunting us for, what, a year? 
year and a half, two years? Oh, good two, three years. Oh, shivers, has it been that long? Yeah, three years, probably. So it sat there, and um, I went away recently on a bit of a holiday, and I get this text that my cousin, who lives on the other side of Australia, has um, rocked up, and, and they're having a wee dram, and I think, ha, 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 the lid isn't even off. <laughs> the lid was off. <laughs> In fact, I, I, um, I don't think the angels even got a tiny bit of a look in on that one. So um, I'm going to take a sip. And um, what was your experience on the night? Oh, it was very, very nice. And uh, we actually, you know that bottle of Oban that was here? Mm. The, uh, whatever one. Uh, oh, that's yummy. I just wanted to put that there. Uh, you're going to take a little photo? Yeah, no, the reason why I thought we'd send it to Amish. Oh, nice idea. <laughs> um, my dad, the Instagrammer. No, uh, no, you're going to send, send it to his Facebook. <laughs> Will do. And so you guys were off doing that. Um, little did I know that um, in, I think, about a week, two weeks after that, um, I was going to be on a cruise and on the cruise you kind of sign up to do different activities and whatnot. One of the things I chose to do was a whiskey tasting, but they spelt whiskey with an E. So I assumed it was going to be all American whiskeys, but what they ended up serving was um, the they served a Tullamore Dew, which um, is a favourite of mine from many, many years ago. Um, they serve, which is an Irish whiskey, sorry. Um, they served Glenmorangie 12 year old. They then served, oh goodness, what was the next one on from that one? Um, there was an American whiskey that they served us. And I think, if I'm not wrong, it was the Jack Daniel Sinatra. And it was amazing. The nose on this, like when you smelt it, all you could smell was unsmoked cigars and leather. And the taste was actually quite outstanding. So for an American whiskey, I was, I was really surprised how much I liked it. Um, the last dram of the night was actually Glenmorangie Signet. And I laughed. And Carolyn, who I'd come to know at this bar because, you know, it was the whiskey bar on ship. Um, she's like, what's so funny? I'm just like, my dad has either just drunk a bottle <laughs> Or was pretending to drink a bottle of this last week. <laughs> and she said, hmm, let's hope he saved you some. And I come home and sure enough, because you're a top bloke, you've saved me some. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, so. It is not, it's very, very uh, vanilla-y, isn't it? You know, a lot of vanillas in it. But it's got a lot of flavours as well. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's got, it's got a, a, a real depth, but it's almost got like this, I, I think because it's definitely got something that's 30 years old and they've never actually come out with the recipe for this one. It's definitely got, um, some of the whiskey was um, distilled about 30 years ago and it's been aged in virgin oak casks. Um, but there's a lot of discussion about it having a lot of coffee kind of flavours. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And the chocolatey kind yeah, of flavours. Yeah, we got the chocolate. So... But vanilla's in that, I thought, too. A lot of yeah. Vanilla. See, I get a lot of the vanilla, and I also got a lot of, like, citrus in it as well. Yeah. Almost yeah. like a Christmas cakey kind of citrus, like your... Yes. You know, uh, uh, mum, like... mum said that when she tried a little bit. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, no, she, she reckoned it was... Actually, mum's got a fairly good nose on her, so... Like, 
That's fairly big, yeah. <laughs> That's where I got it from, nice. Um, no, no, you got the Matterville one, that's even bigger. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a, definitely a blend and I think that it's, like, even though it's got the age stuff in, um, I think you've said it, that it's not necessarily the best whiskey that you've tried for that price? No. No, I, I, for the for $200. But then I have an idea that bottle that we got last time Rob was out here, which was the uh, one that they found down on the in the Antarctic, and then they made up a blend of what it tasted like. It was... Uh, uh, yeah, um, McKinley. Um, oh, goodness, what was it called? Oh, I'll look it up. And, and a percentage actually went to the people down on the ice. Yeah, but yeah. that was something that was effectively made up. I wouldn't have gone, yeah, I wouldn't have gone and brought another one, but they charged a little fortune for it. <laughs> but it was neat. Do you know I still got the box from that? Oh, yeah, but I'll have the box for years from this one. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cork, like you, um, you were saying as well, like the cork that comes out of it, it must be glass or something, is it, do you think? Or do you think it's metal? I think it's a metal. I, I was just I was trying to... Pull it out. If, to... not, if not steel, otherwise. It, oh, it, otherwise that would. I think I don't think it is. No, I think it is. It's like a like you say. It's probably. I reckon it's a metal of some form, but yeah. it's so heavy. I I just couldn't get over the weight of it. Yeah, it's really cool. I wondered whether it was like a glass or something like that, but yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. You know, which it could have been. A... But it's um Too like you say, it's a bit hefty. Yeah, I mean, I'd be keeping the bottle of that one. Um, oh, what was that one? What was the explorer's name? Oh. Um. He was actually a very, very, uh, very good. He, he, unlike Scott, who sort of get there at all costs and c- killed a few of his men and himself doing it. Uh, this guy was a very, very good explorer because he knew he pushed everything to the limit, but. Mm. Uh, there's quite a few different things that he did that were to, and I don't think he ever lost any men, and he was in some pretty dire situations at times. If you read about Shackleton, him. Shackleton, I, I couldn't he think was, of it. I reckon he was the greatest Antarctic explorer of all of them, Shackleton. And so Ernest Shackleton. Yeah. And so. He had ordered cases of of this whiskey, and so they had to. Did they abandon an exploration? Is that how it worked? It, well, a lot of times uh, he got on the ice, and if there was any left over, um, they you know they didn't take stuff off the ice. It was too much, too much hassle if they were down there to get things back on the ship, right. other than their personal items and and any samples of anything that they had, but you wouldn't be taking whiskey back. So you'd leave it somewhere, and the next crew, that wasn't going to go off, so the next yeah. lot of people would come across it. And it was never used, and they found this whiskey down there, uh, and then so they made a blend-up, and all the uh, letters 
Did you see the letters that went backwards and forwards from Shackleton? Yeah, I think and we found them on a website, didn't we? Buying X amount, and he wanted a better price than what they were doing. <laughs> you know, because I think money was always at a at a bit of a stretch for him. Well, for anyone doing those kind of like, you think about it, they're going from you know halfway across the world trying to do these explorations. Don't you think? Well, it was a they've got to get a crew. They've got to pay people wages. Well, it was, it's a wee bit likes of uh, Formula One racing. Like, so their drivers with absolutely fantastic uh, talent who are racing in Formula One and who aren't racing in Formula One. And then there's people who have got a little bit of talent and a big wallet mm. who are racing there because they put 20, 30, 40 million dollars into the coffers of whoever they're racing for. Uh, most most of them in Formula One admittedly are, are, have got the talent and they shouldn't be there. I don't think there's anybody who shouldn't be there but there's others, I think, who should be there who are not there, you know, yeah. personally. But that was a wee bit like the exploration. Uh, there was people who got involved in it who had big wallets. Now, uh, some of them went went away. Some of them weren't as good as the others at doing, you know, when they were, you know, like, I think it was um, a few of them who came out with Cook. They were virtually paying for the trip and they were sitting in the in the cabin. Now, I don't know whether it was Banks or one of those ones. And they, they were good at what they did, mm. whatever they were doing, but... They were sort of... Uh, not necessarily the best person? Well, not So you think it's like someone paying to go up to the pa- um, space station or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was a wee bit like to that, yeah. Oh, wow. You know, and I, I think uh, because there was so much notoriety in that people got, mm. and it was in going out and finding kangaroos in Australia or you know, yeah. whatever it might be, um, they became real celebrities, and it was I think it's a geographic society or something in London, and they would do, and it was, you know, they they'd go and do a thing there, and there was all the uh, notoriety of the the would bees, could bees, and lords and sirs, and probably the clubs they belong you know, to, and those sorts of things, and, and everything else, all all the. Uh, you know, the people in society sort of were members of it. Yeah. And they used to dictate, sometimes they would actually finance different uh, exploration things. So they were like the philanthropists who... Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, right. And they sort of uh, did a lot of that. I sort of haven't... And it's only been recent that I've found out a lot about that sort of type of thing. And it's through the National Geographic channels, you know, on the uh, TV and that. And now and again something pops up about it. And it's, it's quite an interesting subject. No, it really is because you, you think about, like, and those people, whether they were just trying to, you know, make themselves look good or whatever, they finance some things that, you know, really change the course of history in some ways. But, um, you know, in other cases, they were just there and, and, and that's very nice. But um, when it comes to just being there, I think that I agree with you that Signet is an extraordinary try. I think it's something oh, that... You know, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't tell someone wouldn't, not to try. Exactly. 
<laughs> but I must say that I think you're right. It's right on line with that Shackleton's. It's it's good. I don't think the Shackleton was as good as that. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, in terms of experiences, I think that the Shackleton was... I think that the box was probably prettier than the taste. Well, the box was fantastic. <laughs> the, the box. Way they did oh, the box. The, yeah, the box. The and then you got the extra little cork to put in it, even though it already had a cork in it. I thought that was yeah. really cute. Um, yeah, I've still got all that at home. I should um, probably dig it all out. I think that I actually kept a dram in there. And By it's memory, got, it's got that Shackleton one too. Mm. It was sort of packed in sawdust, and they sort they sort of wasn't sawdust, but it was wood uh, shavings. They had like um, wood shavings, wood shavings, or, and they had it wrapped in what do you call that stuff? Not muslin, um, that sort of coarse stuff like burlap. What do you yeah. call it? Sailcloth or something. Yeah, some, no, it wasn't sailcloth. Yeah, was, I think it might have been. How are you going? Are you good? Oh, just a little bit. But. Oh. So I was going to see. One? I was going to see whether you want to try another one today. Oh, I tell you what. You wouldn't say no. Have I ever said no to a nice <laughs> mop? So one of the things I do is I am part of the whiskey club, mm-hmm. and they are a delightful bunch that send me a bottle of whiskey each month, and the girls at work go. How much whiskey do you drink? And I'm like, oh, not that much. And um, liar, liar, <laughs> pants are on fire. Well, you know. <laughs> and so I've got this one, which was actually from a couple of months ago. So this is their February 2019 one. And I'm rather partial to a slightly aged whiskey. And I must say, an 18 year old, I find, is where a lot of whiskeys kind of come into their own. Um, this one's actually from Jura, so you're familiar with Lagavulin, which is from Isla. Jura is an island that's just off Isla, and so to get there, you go across on a ferry. It's really neat. It's it's a really um, you just jump onto this little ferry. It takes you across, and Jura is a really good distillery to go visit. Um, it it's just a bit different, I guess, because it's slightly more isolated. I would, uh, it's a shame that Rob's not here at this present I know, I'm really because, upset. I missed, I, I, missed, um, I went his, away for three and a half weeks and I missed two of my favourite whiskey drinkers. But um, <laughs> Rob, I didn't realise how much knowledge he had on whiskies. He's a member of a whiskey club in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and his first wife, who uh, died, mm. um, she was Scottish. Ah. And uh, he still goes back up to Scotland quite a bit. Because where are they? They're somewhere near Wales, aren't they? Yeah, uh, no, um, they've got a house or uh, a cottage in Wales, mm-hmm. which, because of the Welsh government have changed the rules if someone owns another house so they're having to rent it out and it's a beautiful big old stone building with you know the walls are sort of 18 inches through of stone you know oh wow one of those old beautiful stone thatch roof type buildings yeah and uh, they had a photograph of it and a beautiful building two stories you know type of thing and um, they are now renting it out because what had happened, the Welsh government and their thing, 
decided that they were going to charge anybody who lived outside Wales and had, and that was their second house, about five times more for the uh, rates and taxes and bits and pieces on these places. Oh, and they're already paying, you know, costing them four or five grand a year. So oh, Stopple's clock out. Hang on. Oh. And, what uh, a sound. I've never seen muffles like that. They're as big as bees in steps, Catherine. Oh, it never grows old, does it? No, you said it to me when I was bloody three. You say it to me now. So, um, this Quite one. Dark, oh, so where, where do they live if they're not in Wales? Uh, Cornwall, I think. Okay. Jack, over in that sort of area, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not 100% sure where they are. So this little baby... I know they're about an hour and a bit out of, say, London. Oh, okay. I know they're not, not all, all that far, that far out. out. It'd be funny if they um, lived in the same town as... Um, oh, who's Aaron's cousin? Brindley? No, no, they are No, not there? Um, so this is Jura's 18-year-old. So... Have you tried it before? No. This is the... Um, the first, well, you heard me pull the seal on it, so... No, I just... Oh, no, it just smell it. Really, um I think it's off. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink yours, Catherine. <laughs> A charming old man. See what I've got to put up with. Oh, I thought it was gonna be Do you smokier. Know I kind of expected something a bit smokier. It's not smoky at all. It's um but there's some really interesting flavours in it different to anything I've ever had. Do you get like the really sort of deep candy on the nose? Yeah. I know it sounds really wanky, but... <laughs> yeah, I know, no, no. And almost like that burnt toffee. Yeah. It's, oh, shivers, that's not bad. It's almost a candy floss. Yes! A, a, but, but, but a good candy yes! floss. <laughs> no, like adult candy floss. I like it. That's really cool. I really like that. That's extraordinary. It's different. It's a different. All right, so I haven't right. read too much on it because I didn't really want to spoil it. But it's different to anything I've ever had in a, in a, in a Scotch whiskey. But it's not. So not here's sweet. the story on it's it. Not sweet. It's not. It's different. The front of the bottle describes it as rich and full-bodied with a quality red wine finish and refined smoky notes. I'm not sure where they get the smoky. I don't from. know where the smoky comes from. All right, so uh, it says this elegant malt is rosewood gold in colour uh, with warm aromas of toffee, tropical fruits and cinnamon. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, followed by rich black forest fruit, bitter chocolate and espresso coffee on uh, on the aftertaste. I probably get the bitter, bitter chocolate. But it's like, have you ever... Um, you know how I started making that salted caramel? And I did it that time with the pretzels for Christmas once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I burnt a batch. And I've never had anything that I was just like, ah, it's so borderline. Like, it kind of tastes good, but I know it tastes bad. If you burn it a little bit, it gets this bitter taste. And that's what I'm getting on this. It's just like, it's not bad at all. There's nothing. No. It's actually quite wonderful. You and know, completely different from anything I've ever tried in terms of whiskies. Well, wasn't it Guinness was invented because someone, his grain caught on fire and he decided that he didn't want to waste it? 
Well, uh, there's a few different theories with Guinness, and one of them is that um, Sir Arthur Guinness may have picked up the recipe from somewhere else. May have actually been Welsh. Mm. Just between you, me, and the gatepost. Um, but so... the, the story was that I heard the story I liked when yeah, I heard yeah. it was. Oh, that... it's probably true for Wales. Like, you know, that no, someone no, just. That, uh, his, when the first Guinness was invented, and I thought it was, you know, from the Guinness factory, mm. that he had all this grain and something caught on fire and they got the fire out and he thought, oh, help, can't use it. Oh, well, give it a go, see what happens. Mm. You know, instead of wasting the grain. And that is where Guinness came from. Whether that's true or not, wouldn't have a clue. But that would, it makes a really good story, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that Waste sometimes... Waste not, what not sort of story. I like those ideas. I think yeah. that, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a good story. What was... Um, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, there, there is that thing. <laughs> I like that. But yeah. I quite like this as well. Oh, this this is um, very, very special. Um, but yeah. don't you reckon, um, so um, that was one of the things that when we were talking about it's, the Glenmorangie, is that I think the Glenmorangie 18-year-old outranks the Signet. Can you remember? Don't yeah. know whether you remember. There was a Bledisloe Cup that we cracked open a bottle of um, uh, Glenmorangie 18 year old. And I think that Lewis dropped me down here and we cracked it open. And he came back and he said, That bottle was full when I left. Yes. <laughs> Evapor- he doesn't know about evaporation, does he? I don't think he quite understands the concept. <laughs> And it's like, well, it was really tasty. He's like, how are you two still standing? Well. <laughs> carefully. <laughs> very carefully. How are you two still doing the steps? Very, very carefully. <laughs> but I think that um, the 18-year-old Glenmorangie really comes into its paces. Um, so you have the normal Glenmorangie yeah. and it's, it's a really nice drink like just to have. But if you have the 12-year-old, eh, it's a little bit nicer. And then if you have... It's got some funny flavours in there, hasn't it? It does. You know, I'm not, oh, I don't mean that... Jura. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that in a... I'm sorry. No, no, I, I it's, just had a sip of... Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. I'm happy to go back and forth. Yeah. Um, it's... Um, but the Glenmorangie 18-year-old is where I think that oh, it really comes smart. into its straps. But I think that this... Because I've had Jura before... And I like it. But there's but no smoke. There is... No, no, there's not. Do you know the trick? You grab this, dip your finger in it, just put it on the back yeah, of your hand, and you can actually tell what kind of barley it was made with, whether it this was peated or... It's almost like a lemon zesty kind of thing in the background as well. I think that's sort of what they call the, sort of the fruits of the forest or something like that in a way. Mm. But it's um, for for that sort of region. Oh yeah, that tangy kind of. Yeah. But it's that chocolatey tangy. That's the thing that I kind of find really unusual for a whiskey because I think that they usually go towards the chocolate. Yes. Which, gooseberries. That's what it is. Because you have gooseberries and things like your. Um, Sauvignon Blancs and those kind of things in in terms of wine but to have those like 
fruity yeah, flavours. It's got a gooseberry flavour, I reckon, in it. It's really got that tartness. I've never had that, I don't think, and in a whiskey. Gri- that's gooseberries. Yeah. And I haven't had it where, where the sort of sweet things, almost like candy floss, but a tart underneath it. As well. But the nose is just so deeply, yeah, just so it's just sweet. It's weird. It's a weird, weird, weird. <laughs> it's extraordinary. And, and, but, it, but when I say weird, it's a bloody nice weird. Mm. I'm not. Um, don't don't. Not complaining about it at all. Um, the only thing I kind of regret is that um, I'd like to drink the whole bottle. But <laughs> I think that Lewis might have something to say about that. What he doesn't know. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, right? I think we've got our first four listeners sitting outside the door trying to <laughs> get in. So we've got the podcasting puppies um, trying to get into the front room. Yeah, so getting back to Rob and <clears throat> his knowledge on some of the whiskies yeah, and bits right. and pieces. And remember that one that you went down here talking about and you always said, oh, they're making it with passion and they don't just... Kilcoman. I'm yeah. pretty sure Kilcoman. And I'm pretty sure it was the same one. And he was saying how they're, they're just going ahead leaps and bounds. Oh, they do. Because um, I remember when we got there, they had two releases. They had the... Oh, I wish I could remember the year. But they had basically a... I want to say a winter and a spring... I could be wrong, but I think they were the two seasons because they were the only ones that had been released because it was that new at that yeah. point. And then, I don't know whether you remember, but we went to... Because they've got to be eight years before they can put them in a bottle, don't uh, they? Three. Three, is it? Yeah. Um, we went to Rockpool for Mum's 60th. They had it there, didn't they? Yeah, the, and we had um, Matt. Five, so it was a few years ago. It was a few years ago, yeah, because you're so young. Um, but we had the Makia Bay, and that I was just like, that is leaps and bounds because like the uh, the 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 two seasons that they had at the time, which I'm pretty sure is winter and then spring were just outstanding, like they were something else. And then when you got to the Makia Bay, you're like, oh, they're really... The, the way you're talking about that, I'd be expecting a, a couple of cartons to arrive. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but they really came into, like, I thought that was outstanding. So you if want, they're really still... To happen, you know, every time a doorbell rings, do you... What, wait for a bottle of whiskey? No, no. You know, the carton to arrive when you've been talking about it. <laughs> nah, not at all, not at all. That's not what I'm here for. I'm really no, here for the no, com- really I'm here that. for the conversation, really, well, at the end here, of the day. I was here for the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought the whiskey, so I think I did I did my job. Well, so. I've, I've given you <laughs> No, no, I know. I was going to say you did pretty well one. yourself. Well done. Couple. <laughs> uh, so... Kilcoman was something that was like really interesting. So yeah, um, I just, I've, I just, I really, really regret that I missed two of my favourite whiskey drinkers while I was away. Yeah. Well, yeah, with Hamish and then with um, with Rob, Rob as well. Ahead. Yeah, and Ruve was really great. She's good, still good. 
Of course. Yeah. Why would she not be still good? <laughs> oh, you know, just enjoy. Um, I never realised how much Ruve treated our family as, like, so she, Rob was saying that she always says that she's got more brothers, you know, than what she, she's got two brothers, mm. but she's says that she's actually got four. Yeah. Because of our family. But that, I mean, I think that's the thing that people don't understand is that sometimes you just adopt family. I mean, we had Tara. Tara was like our yeah, bonus we sister. Yeah, different was... Uh, yeah, you know, I know, but like, like a little bit different, but much the same. It, I mean, it was, she was just... Yeah, you know, the girls went away to boarding school and they came back with... Uh, with Ruve. There was two of them went away and... They both went away at the same time, Mary and Joanna, you know, yeah. same year. Yeah. And uh, then they got off the plane and there was there was three sisters oh, that what? came so, back. So they didn't catch the ferry across? No, because back then, uh, I think we went across, I remember going across on a, I don't know whether it was to a cross one or school thing. Sorry, we should ex- explain. So you guys are from the north of the South Island in New Zealand, but the girls... Marlborough. From where the wine area is. Yeah, so Marlborough. That's yeah. probably a good way to describe and it. And the girls went to school in Wellington. Yeah. Which so, is only... No, but I always assumed that you guys probably went up to Picton and picked them up from the ferry. Oh, no, right. No, no. Okay. Uh, DC3s and then Friendships. So where'd they coming to? Blenheim or to... Blenheim. Oh, wow. Okay. But it was quite amazing. It used to be the airline in New Zealand was known as NAC. NAC? New Zealand Airline or something. Uh, Air Carrier. Air, co- uh, Air Carrier. Air Carrier or yeah, something like sense. that. Yeah, makes sense, yeah. And uh, then, of course, it changed to Air New Zealand. And I went to catch a plane. We were in Blenheim up to Auckland last time we were in New Zealand. And uh, went in there and there was... Two women who I'd known since our school kids from down ward, uh, Jill Wooding and someone else. Oh, um, oh, I forget who the other one was, but I, I knew them quite well. Yeah. You know, uh, knowing them, you know, in our teenage years and, you know, roughly the same age. And as I said to them at the time, I said, do you realise the last time I was out here it used to be NAC and they were going, what? <laughs> they couldn't get over it. You know? That's and funny. it was, you know, because yeah. there's a big Air Force base there, plus there was a huge uh, thing. In Blenheim. In Blenheim. Mm. And they used to, f- and, and, and the, at the air main Woodburn, it was called where the airstrip was, mm. the main airfield was Woodburn. And then they had these Bristol freighters and later on they had Argosies. And the Bristol freighters had big doors on the front that opened up uh, from the front of the plane, two big doors, and they just slid the thing in. And they looked they, they look like they shouldn't have been able to fly. They, 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 they were the bumblebee theory. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely, you know, 100%. And they used to go everywhere in these How, Sorry, going back to bumblebees, they fly because they've got a small amount of helium in them? Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. 
Yeah, sorry. So they used to go. It's a gas that, that they put out. Yeah. And they, 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 the scientists did a thing on bumblebees mm. and said aerodynamically they shouldn't be able to fly. Yeah. And then they found out that they actually, it was almost like a helium balloon or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they've got something in them. Yeah. That, uh, in the body that blew up a little bit, which lightened the body down a little bit, but on weight when they were sitting on the ground. Yeah. They shouldn't be able to fly. Shouldn't have been able to fly. I love that. That's so cool. Be and, a bumblebee, people. Yeah. And and these Bristol freighters were very much designed on a bumblebee. Mm. But they... An interesting little sideline to that story was uh, Frank Ponder, who was an architect, and my brother-in-law's father, and he actually designed Scott Base. Mm-hmm. And he was in America and went to Boeing. Mm. And he said to, and Boeing's were showing him through, and they said, and the different freight planes that they were building, and different planes, and he was getting the VIP treatment, you know, and, and that. And anyway, something came up, and one of them said, Oh, he said, we're having a real problem. Uh, we want to be able to turn freight planes and passenger planes and we do, and we've got a real problem and Frank was able to tell them that they've been doing it for some years in New Zealand and what they did they had a big container that they flew into these just pushed into these safe airplanes and the I think it was the back part where they put the container and they uh, and that that the people sat in and had all these nice seats in it and, and where the windows were in the plane, they looked out, you know, you looked through two windows instead of one. Yeah. And they used to go down to the Chatham Islands, which is oh, three, four hundred k's off Christchurch and that, mm. and they used to take freight down and passengers will, so they carry about, I think it was, by memory, I, I think it was somewhere around between... 18 and 20 passengers, but I'm not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me. And uh, they would take passengers and freight both ways because of the people going backwards and forwards. Yeah. And Frank told them about this, and they reckoned that they uh, said, oh, Safe Air's been doing it for some years, and this uh, this is how they do it because he'd been sort of involved. And uh, it took them somewhere about uh, 36 hours and they had people sitting on the ground in Blenheim having a look at these, uh, the way they did it. Nice. And uh, apparently Boeing uh, went in. I think it's quite extraordinary. Like, I think that some of the smaller places in the world have produced like some things out of necessity. Well above what? their waist. Weight. Well, yeah, like, um, what do you call it, like, punching above your weight? Yeah, yeah. But it's due to, like, um, what do they call it? Um, like, necessity. Oh, there's a saying to do with necessity, like, because, like, if you... Is it whatever of invention? Or yeah, something necessity yeah. is the something of invention, father invention or something like that. Yeah. It's just, like, if you it's... need something, it, it, it really... And so, in, like, you look at small places, like, you look at... Um, Perth, for example, is a hub of some of the best Australian bands that have ever 
come to light. And it's really weird, but there is a really strong band culture and it's developed and, you know, people have gone out there it, and yeah. you get tiny little places and they develop something so well. And I think that New Zealand is a really, really good example of, of that kind of thing. Yeah, but the thing is, um, it's a wee bit like sort of aviation is a classic. There's other things that were involved and we won't go into those. But aviation, especially if you have a look at the First and Second World War, the jumps and leaps that aviation made in the First and the Second World War mm-hmm. was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, compared with the peacetime before yeah. and between the two world wars, and uh, you know, lots of that happened. But one of the biggest things for uh, inventing things and getting things off the ground, and there's just so, lots of was uh, insulation and fridges and a whole lot of things came out of it. And that was the uh, space program uh, that Kennedy uh, pushed for because yeah. you had all these top scientists all doing different things and some of it was never ever used in the space exploration thing because they they thought they were going in the right direction but it was the wrong thing that they had but it was used in other things later on and they did something that they couldn't patent it but people could use that and if they had a use for it so if something had been invented there and they had a use for it, you know, and they reckon the insulation of fridges and things like that yeah, just right. went up tenfold uh, to what they used to be just because of the space program. And there's a whole lot of other inventions that came out, computers, the uh, computer program, you know, things that were worked on. There was just so many things because you had all these top minds all working for one thing, mm. but they were inventing things to do it. And it, and they're all there and passing information. And it was, and other than that was one of the bigger things that ever happened with inventions and, and getting the world ahead. But, you know, the First and Second World War was... Uh, some of the inventions that came in there were just phenomenal to what they had been. I mean, you look at, well, to take it back to whiskey, you look at it, it was a whole lot of little people with their little pot stills in the highlands. And if you see the stills, I mean, you're talking like two, three stories high. Well, probably two stories high. Um, they're massive. So when they legalise whiskey. So I think that um, Glenlivet are the ones that hold the um, certification for the whole legalised still. Um, that, those stills are so big. Like they would um, fill this room like three quarters, the base of the stills, and then they'd go up probably at least two storeys and up to the next. It's just, it, they're so extraordinary in terms of you know, they, all of a sudden it was legalised. They were able to, able to produce to make money. And so that's what they did. And I think that that is, 
it's it's quite extraordinary how like little things and like you were saying about you know the little things that um resulted in those people saying right we're going to put our money here or this club is interested in doing this and we're going to promote these explorers i think it's really extraordinary the way that history's been turned by these little decisions yeah but sometimes i think uh, i often wonder we've got for instance, we'll use cancer research as a bit of a thing. Mm. If you set up where anybody wanting to do research could go into this big institution and you probably, they don't need to be in the same, you know, they could be whatever, but all the information they get from any research they do, if it was put into a pool where anybody else could use it, instead of drug companies trying to make money out of bits and pieces, yeah. and they were paid good money, whoever's doing it, once they get to a certain level. Yeah. Um, I, I just wonder how much more advanced we would be than where we are today. Uh, you could probably do it out of uh, half a dozen hospitals around the world, but all the information has to be shared, and you have all your top people working in those places and people strive to get into them it's a real and and when they get there you know they're looked after financially and everything else i'm nodding it's just like it's It's that would be the perfect it's not going to happen yeah but, but in an ideal world yeah if you had people striving to do something and they didn't have the restrictions of uh we've got to make money out of this from drug companies i know you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I kind of want to wrap this up because we're getting towards the hour mark. But, um, I mean, I've had my experiences with cancer and stuff like that. And I think that there is so much that can be done. <laughs> like some of these institutions that have been set up and you look at them and it's like, well, you're just paying a CEO and I don't understand why you're there. Other other institutions, I can understand why they're there, and I think that they're really well run. And it's really hard as someone that's gone through that to actually wade your way through that and to not be a little bit cynical. But the thing that really gets me is the way that I think that treatment's almost regressed. So we spoke the other day about a um, family friend who had to have a bone marrow biopsy done. So the first time that I had a bone marrow biopsy done was hilarious because um, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, my mother works in a hospital and it was done in the hospital that she worked in and um, uh, I was given a drug I believe called fentanyl <laughs> which may or may not have been done for um, Michael Jackson's demise but I don't know how that quite worked but um, at the end of the day I turned around and these people were drilling into my hip bone and getting bone marrow out going, you guys are doing the best job. (laughs) And my mother, I still like, I can half recall the look on her face, which was pretty much like to put a hand over her eyes and just shake her head. That may or may not. And I said, oh, can you show me my bone marrow? And all I could see was like, a bottle I was not sure what they were showing me 
but they gave me like you know drugs so I wouldn't be traumatized by the event and I remember seeing there was a movie and it had Leonardo DiCaprio in it and um oh, was that where he was do, doing became an airline pilot <laughs> no it what wasn't was that, that one what was that film no it was a true story this guy did all these things no that was catch me if you can yeah and he was a doctor no that wasn't the movie that i was thinking of but the movie i was thinking of was like because the first time i had to have one i was like oh my goodness this is gonna be so painful they gave me wonderful drugs and it was okay but we had a family friend recently who had to have one and they did not give her appropriate drugs to cope with the 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 procedure and um and so, you know, you kind of look at things and you think, well... Well, she shot over to one of the better uh, private hospitals in Perth yeah. so she could have the drugs and bits and pieces. Oh, no, we don't do that now. We'll just do this. Yeah, she said, I would yeah. have had something to say about that. Uh, I would have probably I think, got think, up think, off I, the table. I think she might have um, sort of... Sorted them out? Arced up just a little bit, as so to speak. That's Marnie Jane. <laughs> but, you know, you've, like, I think that there's some things and they've kind of regressed a little bit in Australia in particular. And um, I think that's sad. Uh, no, I, yes and no. You know, like, some, there's hardly a day goes by where there isn't another news story where they're making little inroads into different things that might be cancer or it might be a whole lot of different things that gradually you know the, oh, I've always said with cancer like it would be a wee bit in years to come when you're talking about chemotherapies and things I wouldn't mind betting that uh, people will go it would be a wee bit like sort of bleeding patients as a, as a cure yeah. and things like that yeah. what the hell were they doing you know? um. They could have just done this, you know, <laughs> and I, I can see that. And gradually, there's sort of things sort of happening. So, and and it's coming around gradually. I have an idea. A lot of the um, things for helping people uh, not feel as sick when they're having the chemo's. They've got a lot better things gradually going to oh and like the treatments i think are a little bit more targeted than they used to yeah, be oh yeah marvin's room that's the one it had meryl streep in it it was like 1996 so two years before i had to have my first pomo biopsy i was just like going oh this is gonna suck and i got there i was just like high as a kite <laughs> seeing those going these guys are doing the best job because i thought this was gonna suck <laughs> and it was the best anyway yeah but anyway, so um, I, I guess we should go go and help your mother now. We should go make dinner. Um, mm. So Jura was good. Glenmorangie was good. And I'd my, la- the- my Lagavulin still hasn't turned up. <laughs> Lag- I am a bit dirty with Lagavulin. <laughs> so Lagavulin zero. So Diageo, get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Okay, good. Good to have another one.